Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And today's episode is a Q&A episode. I tweeted out that if you had any questions for the show, let me know. And I got a thread of about 20 plus questions here. We're not going to be able to get into all of them in the 35 minutes or so we go today, but I will do my best to answer all of them. And I would like to say thank you for those who ask questions. And if you ever have a question, just let me know. Drop me a line on uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and just say this is a question for the pod and I will do my best to address it. If you guys can't tell yet, I've kind of lost my voice. I was on the back-to-back in San Antonio and OKC, quick turnaround, first back-to-back of the season. And uh, it it definitely it definitely wore me out. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm doing my best here to keep this interesting, but I have lost my voice and I am incredibly tired, but I wanted to deliver a pod for you guys this week because uh, I was not able to earlier in the week. So Let's get into the Q&A. Uh, first question from at DJ underscore got it to. Uh, would you say the Lakers early troubles are mostly players learning a new system slash injured or the roster just not being made good enough? Uh, I, I like that that phrasing there. Uh, well, as I've been saying for weeks, if not months now, I would say it's probably been months. Uh, on this podcast, on Nate Duncan's Dunked On podcast, on ESPN LA radio, on, on just other any interview I've basically done about the Lakers in the NBA world, I do think there's a roster construction issue, and I'm leaning more that way with this question. Uh, I, I cert- like I think the caveat applies that the Lakers have th- there was certainly going to be an adjustment period. First and foremost with Russell Westbrook and just integrating him into an offense that has primarily been based around LeBron and AD. And now you're adding in a third high usage guy who is not great off the ball, is not a great shooter. And there's going to be some growing pains there. That's just, that was inevitable. Uh, I think even like if, even if you're a Lakers optimist on the fit of Russell Westbrook, you had to at least acknowledge that it was not going to be a seamless fit from day one. They weren't just going to roll the ball out there and it was going to be perfect. So there's that there's also now 12 of the 15 guys are are new players. And with Rondo and Dwight, it's, it's a little, and even Avery Bradley, like there's a little bit of, okay, they were here a couple years ago, so they're not fully new, but even so that's nine completely new guys that have not played with LeBron in in AD or haven't played with Frank or, or haven't played with all three. And, just factoring in that turnover within the rotation. And then you've had the injuries. Kendrick Nunn, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Taylor Horton Tucker, four guys who I, I think to me clearly factor into the rotation in the top nine or 10, uh, potentially a starter in Trevor, also potentially a starter in Wayne or, or was in that conversation. And then two, your, your two key bench ball handler playmakers in Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker. So the Lakers are missing four key guys already. They've missed LeBron the last two games, which we we know <laughs> going back the last three years of Laker basketball, when LeBron's not playing, the Lakers struggle. And, and this season, it's actually been okay without LeBron. And they, they had the Spurs win. And I think this team is built to withstand missing LeBron. But 
in those instances, okay, more AD, more Russ, maybe it's a Malik Knight, maybe it's a Kendrick Knight, maybe it's a Taylor Knight, maybe it's a Mellow Knight, but you also need the defense. And, and that's where if LeBron's out, you need Trevor to step up, you need Taylor to step up, you need Kent to step up. You don't have that full army of your wings. Now, I think this team is incredibly dependent on three wings that I think if you compare them to, and those three being Kent Bazemore, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Trevor Ariza, you compare them to other contenders, I don't think that's as strong of a perimeter defensive group. And going from, or rather, especially going from Alex Caruso, KCP, and those guys are more backcourt, smaller defenders, so it's not an an exact apples to apples comparison. But I do think it, it you know, there is a downgrade with the Lakers' perimeter defense. It's just, I think, you know, and even Frank Vogel and Rob Polinka have admitted as much. Uh, in recent weeks. So I think part of these struggles, again, is a combination of integrating Russ, the, the newness of the roster and rotation and the injuries. And you, you can't, like, I think if the, the newness of the roster and Russ, that was inevitable. That was going to happen. The injuries were not inevitable. Injuries are inevitable in general, but to, to have half your rotation basically out, you can't really predict that. I, I would say I think if they were whole to start the season, this is probably a three and two or four and one record. Maybe they beat the Warriors. Maybe they beat the Thunder last, you know, the other night. So I think we we have a different view of the Lakers, at least from a results perspective. But that happened. They lost those games, and they're shorthanded. And we don't know what's going to happen with LeBron against Cleveland on Friday night. So I would say, though, that for the Lakers to be as dependent as they are on Talon, on Kent, on Trevor, in terms of their wing defense, that's a bit concerning. And I think I understand why the team went in the direction they went in terms of shifting more towards offense. I think the Lakers offense without LeBron and even sometimes with LeBron had underachieved in the past couple seasons. And I think going a little bit more modern, taking some smart gambles on players like Kendrick and Malik and uh, going back to Dwight and even Rondo to an extent, I get a lot of the moves. And, and I've said, I think aside from the Russ move, I thought the Lakers knocked it out of the park this offseason. But I do think they're a wing short, in my opinion, to really be at the level of a healthy Brooklyn or Milwaukee. And, and that can change. They can get that guy. They can make a move. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of flexibility to make a move, but they can pull something off uh, for, for you know a ninth or 10th guy that factors in. But I think they're going to have some of these defensive issues. I, I don't think adding Trevor Ariza or Taylor Horton Tucker in a few weeks is, is going to vault them from the 25th defense to the 8th defense. That's just not how it works. So I, I think there there is a roster construction issue. It was clear before. It's been clear through five games. And I, I think... Another thing you've kind of seen is that for all the people complaining about DeAndre Jordan, one, those lineups have not been as bad. It might not be pretty, but the results have, have bore out that the lineups have actually been positive. But aside from that, the reason they've kind of had to go with a, a bigger lineup, and we can quibble about DJ versus Dwight. Dwight's been better, but Frank prefers him off the bench. 
But the reason they've had to do that in, in the first place is because Trevor and Talon are both out. I, I think if even if Trevor was out, you, you might just say, hey, let's start Talon. Like it, it, it's better floor spacing than starting DeAndre, right? So, but both those guys are out and the Lakers don't have another option. They're not going to start Melo and there's no other wing size guy that they can really go to. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. All right, second question here. Why isn't Malik Monk starting regularly uh, from I don't like Dodger? Well, if you want to know why Malik Monk is not starting regularly, go back and watch the final breakdown from the Lakers in that OKC loss. And the, the final play of that game, I wrote about it on The Athletic. You should check it out if you haven't uh, seen my story from that game. But... Lou Dort is dribbling the ball, dribbling the clock out. Malik Monk is defending Josh Giddy in the right corner in front of the Lakers bench. And this is a crucial defensive possession. Lakers are down one, under 40 seconds left. You need to stop. And Josh Giddy comes up for a dribble handoff. And Malik is completely... I guess he's he's in the zone, but I don't know what zone he's in. I don't know what he's paying attention to because it takes him a full second to second and a half to realize that Josh Giddy is coming up. He finally reacts. He's a couple steps behind him. Now he's trailing. Derek Favors. So Giddy gets the ball from Dort, immediately goes into a pick and roll with Derek Favors. Malik Monk is trailing this entire time. Now he, he kind of recovers. Uh, but Carmelo Anthony is defending Derek Favors. He's in drop coverage. He allows Josh Giddy to, you know, he, he's retreating, allowing Josh Giddy to go downhill. And there's now a passing lane for Giddy to hit Derek Favors because Malik Monk, I mean, it's a chain reaction where Monk's late, he's recovering late, Melo's not playing good drop coverage. Both guys have their hands down allowing Giddy to thread the needle in between two guys, two Derek Favors. You have Russ, who's the low man and the help guy in the situation. He wrote, I don't get what Russ is doing either, because if you look, his guy, who I don't have the clip in front of me, but I'm just doing this off memory. Uh, his guy is actually relocating up. And Russ is still supposed to help in that situation. But it's like he's kind of sitting with his guy or he thinks he's sitting with his guy but he has not realized that his guy is left and in that situation i mean it, like, like if you if, if you're gonna do that then follow like follow your guy 
or go help. But he kind of is in no man's land where he's like, I'm in between my guy and the ball, but he doesn't realize his guy's relocating. And it's again, it's either, you know, Josh Giddy's about to hit your guy for a wing three, or you have to go rotate on that. He rotates late, just has a half-hearted swipe at the ball. Derek Favors, of all people, gets a layup, seals the game, and that's that. But it all started with Malik not reacting quick enough, and that's just been an issue. If you look at a lot of the Lakers' worst breakdowns, many of them feature Malik Monk. And he's a young guy, but his defensive awareness and instincts are not good at this point in his career. And that to me is the biggest thing holding him back from a bigger role. I mean, he can clearly shoot. He's got the playmaking and ball handling chops. I think he can be a a high level secondary scorer and secondary playmaker. I mean, to me, his upside at this point is probably a six man of the year type, but his defense is so bad that that I mean, that, that is why that is his upside, because he, he, to me, is from that lineage of a Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson. Like, he is that type of guy. For him to take a step and, and be a higher level guy, there's got to be a, a better defensive awareness. And it's not even just the defense. There's times he misses box outs. But a lot of the rotations, a lot of the help stuff. And he's young enough where this... Again, this isn't necessarily like how it's going to be the rest of his career. I just think that he's been, it's really close between him and Melo, who's been the Lakers' worst defender and most harmful defender. Uh, I might, but I think I would lean Monk because Melo at least has some size and he can rebound defensively. And I, I think the Lakers have, have kind of found ways to hide Melo at times. I also thought that. The final play from OKC was a brilliant set because they completely targeted Russ, Kent, I mean, uh, Russ, Mello, and Malik. If you look at the action, they run it so AD and Kent are on the weak side. Uh, and they're, they're defending Shea, and I, I forgot who AD was defending. But the action is, is designed to primarily involve. Russ, Malik, and Mello on the strong side, and you have AD and Kent on the weak side. Because if you have AD and Kent involved in that, they're you know if if AD is defending Derek Favors in that situation, he's stealing that pass or blocking Josh Giddy's shot. He, he's getting a stop there. Uh, if you have Kent, similar thing. He, he's pressuring the ball, playing the passing lanes. The Thunder designed a smart set to clear it out and get the Lakers' two best defenders on the weak side, where, yes, they could still have helped. And uh, I think if AD wasn't that weak side help defender, Josh Giddy maybe takes that for a left-handed layup. But I thought that was just a brilliant design from the Thunder. Third question here from at SportsMatt12. Uh, do you believe this roster fits what Vogel's strengths are as a coach? I- I'm going to lean no. I-, I do think that... You, you have the defensive front court element. You have LeBron and AD, who Vogel's clearly familiar with, won a championship with. You brought back a couple of guys that he likes and, and has relied on in Dwight and Rondo. So I, I don't want to say this is 
not a Vogel team at all. I think you have you have pieces that he's been successful with. You have some that that two big you know the the two big dynamic, which he used to to great success a couple of years ago, even last season at times. So I, I don't want to completely say this is not a Vogel team. That said, I think there's a level of offensive creativity needed for this group and with how unique some of the pieces are with how ill-fitting some of the pieces are and i don't i think from what we've seen from frank over the past couple seasons i don't know how high my confidence level would be for him to properly maximize the offense with this group i think we've seen more off-ball movement and screening with pretty much everybody except Russ, uh, and, and some creative stuff, but the consistency and the execution level has not been high enough. And I think the Lakers need an offensive upgrade in terms of not Frank, but probably someone on the staff, like wh- whoever the offensive coordinator is, I-, I think that situation needs to be addressed and, and, and kind of either upgraded or those principles need to get through to the players more consistently because I I don't think it's been consistent. And again, as we mentioned earlier, there's naturally an adjustment period implementing such a big piece like Russ uh, and and so many new guys. I think judging it off of five games is too early, but that's all we have to go off. And I think it's it's even looking at the preseason and like looking at the 11 game sample we have and, and taking in all the caveats, all the guys that have been out, all the newness. I, I, I still think there, there are some offensive issues that are concerning with or without everybody. And there's been times where the offenses look great. They, they're getting out transition. They're spacing the floor. They're, they're running nice weak side actions. Uh, and it's been impressive. But there's also been times where, like the second half of the Thunder game, where they're just devolving into iso ball and, and contested jumpers and stagnation, and it just looks awful. And uh, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily put that all on Frank. I think you, you have to play to your coach's strengths. We know he's the defensive guy. We've seen that. And I think he he does a great job of maximizing your defense's potential and talent. And that's why, to me, if the Lakers are a top 10 defense, Anthony Davis should be in strong strong consideration for Defensive Player of the Year. And Frank Vogel should be in strong consideration for Coach of the Year. And, you know, because it's going to be it's going to be on those two guys. And we've, we've already seen it from AD. I think AD's having a potential Defensive Player of the Year campaign already. He's played really well. He's averaging, I think, around three blocks right now. Might even be a little higher if I pull this up quickly. Uh, AD, to me, defensively has been awesome. He's averaging 2.4 blocks. Uh, I mean, overall, 28 points, 11.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists half a steal and, and basically two and a half blocks. Like ad has been great this season. And I, I know he's been a little too jump sharp. Line. We're, we're getting off track here. Uh, my, I guess 
This brings it back to the roster construction, though, is the reason I don't think this is a Frank Vogel team is because of the perimeter defense and having way too many offense first guys. And we know that Frank defaults to defense. Like, Take opening night. It's a perfect example. Before the game, it was shortly announced that Avery Bradley is going to be on the team. And we ask about Avery in, in pregame. Frank says that Avery is, you know, just got just got there, just arrived, uh, went through some walkthrough stuff, and he's not going to play because the Lakers don't want to just throw him out there. That you know they kind of want to ease him in. Now fast forward to the game, and the Lakers are having that sort of collapse uh, where, where Golden State's running away with it. And what does Frank do? Throws in Avery Bradley with eight minutes left in the fourth to play crunch time. And he played well, hit a couple threes and, and played some good defense. But that is Frank in a nutshell. When his back's against the wall, he's always going to default to the defensive option. And that, that's what you saw in that game. That's what we've seen consistently over the past couple of years. I think in part, that is why he prefers the two big model. Uh, just because I do think the two big model is better defensively. I mean, having another rim protector, even with DeAndre Jordan's limitations and some of his deficiencies in, in drop coverage, I think it like you're at least bigger. You're theoretically better uh, in terms of defensive rebounding. And the, the two big model is, is fine defensively. It's the offensive end where you have the issues. So uh, again, I think he doesn't have the defensive personnel that he would probably like to have. And then offensively, I think there's a lot of challenges with this group in terms of just fitting the pieces together. And that, as we know, is not necessarily his strength. So from that perspective, I would say he's not, he might not be the ideal coach for this group, but at the same time with, I mean, he's, he's got the buy-in from LeBron and AD. He's already won a championship there. He's still in a contract. I think he's an elite coach. And I also think given the limitations, you do want a more defensive minded coach in this situation. I think if you you have Mike D'Antoni, like (laughs) you might have some good offensive results, but the defense is going to be lacking. And Frank isn't like the defensive Mike D'Antoni, but to me, I, 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 I like, I think he's the right guy for the job. I know the pitchforks are already out. I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen it in my mentions. I think Frank should keep his job. I think he's the right guy for the job. I don't think it's a perfect fit in terms of roster and him, but I don't think that's his fault, obviously. And I I think think the Lakers are going to figure it out. It's five games. Everybody relax. Next question from at Lakers Supply. Given what we've seen through five games... What would your starting five be with the team fully healthy? I like this question. I would say I think the starting group should be the original projected starting group of Anthony Davis at the five, Trevor Ariza and LeBron at the forward spots and Kent Bazemore and Russell Westbrook in the backcourt. To me, that is the best group. For all the stuff about the two big lineups that I was just talking about, I I still think the Lakers' best bet is going small. I've always thought that. 
Uh, I think there's there's merit in certain matchups. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, like those matchups, sure. You want a Dwight. You might even want a DJ. Uh, you, you want the combined 12 fouls. You, you want someone battling on the boards. You want that good post defense. Like th- there are things, there are reasons why you would want that. But overall, you want AD at the five. You ideally want LeBron at the four. With him and Ariza, it's kind of un- like they can vacillate between the three and the four. But that to me is Ariza and Bazemore satisfy the three and D needs of the Lakers lineup. And, you know, they, they can lock in on the perimeter, can take some of that burden off of Russ and LeBron. Uh, they, they are competitive enough on the boards. They're, they're solid help defenders. And they can keep defenses honest enough with their open catch and shoot, uh, you know, three point shooting. So, that to me is, is probably the best group. You can maybe make a case that Wayne belongs in there. I think for, for me, it's if Wayne is shooting 40 plus percent and even up, like if he's shooting like 45%, which is very high, but I think he's, he's that level of a shooter, especially in this offense with the type of looks he's going to be getting, Wayne might have a shot to start, but, and got to, you know, defend at a, at a reasonable enough level. If he can do that, I think he's in that conversation. But Bazemore to me is emerged as the fourth most important Laker and Trevor Ariza as that rangy six nine guy who could defend either forward spot. Like that that to me is the ideal starting group. Uh I would say like Casey like can KCP start? Like I would love KCP and Kent Bazemore on the perimeter. And you know, have those two guys have LeBron at the four. I would prefer lineup probably with LeBron at the four, but I don't think the Lakers have a another defensive wing that really allows them to do that. I think you want Trevor Ariza in that Shane Battier role as a guy who will sacrifice his body, defend those bruising fours, you know, defended Julius Randle and sacrifice himself kind of and not and prevent LeBron from having to take that physical toll. So that would be my ideal starting group. We'll, we'll see how Kendrick Nunn fits. There's a chance that maybe you go Bazemore Nunn. I think Bazemore is, is probably the fourth log at this point. Uh, but and if, if you're going to go big at this point, I, I would go with Dwight over DeAndre. But I, I don't, I don't think the Lakers should go big. But if they do, I think eventually it should be Dwight instead of DJ. Next question: Why was Russ in the game at the end? when a three was needed to tie and there were less than 24 seconds left. Is Frank making lineup choices on merit or on politics? This is from Alan Fred FFB. As a general rule uh, or, or just sort of code of conduct in the NBA, stars close games. And we, we can debate, is that politics? Is that, you know, what, like, what, what, I, like we, we can debate what that is. But the fact of the matter is, like, look at look at Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson. Scottie Pippen is still talking about being subbed out and having Tony Kukoc take the last shot, or I guess rather Tony Kuk. The last play is designed for Tony Kukoc. Scottie Pippen withdraws himself, but like that's even pettier. Like he wasn't even taken out; he just wasn't given the last shot, and he decided to take himself out, and is still talking about that twenty five years later. And I think. Scottie Pippen, 
now we, we've seen like it, it's hard to, to judge people's egos from the outside but i think like outside looking in you you would say scotty pippen is on the lower end of the ego sphere he's not this flashy guy talking about what he can and can't do you know what, what he can do and he doesn't have this crazy bravado and just doesn't have the the ego we've seen from other star players and maybe we're wrong based on the way he's kind of handled this uh last shot situation for 25 plus years but i think like think about a guy in comparison in, in russ who has no problem sharing his ego and bravado and confidence and like i just you can't you just can't bench that guy and, and even the last shot from russ like it was a it was an awful shot i i like, I don't know if the Lakers drew that up or not. I, I would think, I would hope not. <laughs> but if they did, even so, like, that's just because Russ is Russ. And when you trade for a third star, that player becomes a, a closing lock. We, we've seen it for the past two seasons. No matter how poorly LeBron or AD is playing, they're always going to close games. And there's the caveat of, of course, they're, they're two-way guys. Lakers defense is better with them on the floor offensively defenses are always keying in on them so even if lebron's having an off shooting night his value as a passer as a playmaker as a ball handler and just his gravity is gonna open things up offensively ad his rebounding his defense his uh role you know it's pick and roll and, and pick and pop ability just that threat of him is gonna open things up offensively so Comparing those guys to Russ isn't necessarily fair because they're both better. They're both two-way guys. But the point is, you bring in Russell Westbrook, he's not going to be on the bench at the end of games. And there might be, like the Spurs game, he had the five fouls, he got pulled out. He was out for a majority of crunch time because there was no stoppage in play. I, I was really fascinated. I was like, what, when is when is he going to get back in the game? Is he, are they going to finish the game and, and Russ just never checked back in? Uh, and of course, it went to overtime, so he, he got to play in overtime. But... Russ is not going to get benched at the end of games. Now, I, I think the Lakers can do a better job of maybe saying, hey, even if we're down three, we don't want you taking a three because you're shooting 17.4% from deep on the season. But aside from that, like Russ is going to be out there. I think the bigger thing is not having guys like Melo and Malik Monk, who are such defensive liabilities, in conjunction with Russ being out there and, and really trying to... I, now, if you need a three, maybe Monk and Mello are out there. They are two of the better shooters on the team. In Mello's case, he's probably the best shooter on the team. Well, I'd say Wade Ellington's the best shooter, but Mello's right there. Uh, but, I, I mean, <laughs> also, I, I think it's it's partially who's available because I guess you could tell me you, you go with a lineup of AD, Mello, Austin, Kent, and Malik. But I don't love that group's ability to create a high-level three-pointer. Now, again, Russ just taking, inbounding the ball and just chucking up an open three from the top of the key is not a, it's not an ideal shot. It's not an ideal three-point look. But I think if you look at the way the Lakers were spaced, I think the the, the shot they were looking for was Russ going downhill. Uh, they, they were kind of setting a double screen on either side for him to go left or right with two shooters in the corners. And it's either drive, get a quick two, 
and foul or, or try to get a stop or spray out to a shooter. Maybe someone's popping, someone's rolling. You can hit AD, hit mellow. So I think Russ took the, oh, they're playing out. They're going under. I'm going to take this three. He's back in OKC. Uh, again, bad shot. I'm not defending the shot. I really hope that was not the Lakers goal was to get a Russ three because at 17%, I don't like those odds. Especially off the dribble. He's the worst three-point shooter off the dribble versus catch and shoot. But even with that said, you're just not benching a star player at the end of a game. And especially this early. Maybe if we have a sample of 30, 40, 50 games, Russ continues to not play well, continues to not shoot well, continues to be a liability on both ends. Yes, maybe at that point. But five games in, the relationship is still fresh. There's still this adjustment period. You risk losing Russ if you do that. And it's just not going to happen. And I would like to see the team that has three stars that is benching their third guy. And I like Cleveland did it at times because of how poor uh, Kevin Love was defensively. And again, maybe there are matchups in which the Lakers eventually bench Russ. But I think at this point in the season, it's too early. And in general, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Last question here. Have you heard general estimates of when the team expects THT, Nunn, and Ariza to be back? Ariza was, had a, not a projected eight-week timetable, but a projected eight-week reevaluation period, which would mean the team isn't going to reevaluate him until early December. And so I guess... I would tentatively put Ariza as returning somewhere in between mid to late December. I think that's probably a realistic timeline for him. Although with surgery, with a guy who's 36, you just never know how these things are going to play out. So I think we'll have a better idea in a few weeks, maybe mid to late November. But as of right now, I would say he should be back in... uh, I would I would put him in that mid to late December time uh, timeline. With none, he kind of not at a setback, but they kind of pushed it back of like it's going to be a few weeks. So I, I think none is another two to four weeks, and I, I think Talon is another two to three weeks. So the Lakers are going to kind of have this rotation shortage for at least two more weeks, and potentially closer to a month. So uh, I mean. It's, it's just not an ideal start to the season from an injury perspective. Thankfully, they you know for them, they have in a relatively easy schedule, home-heavy schedule, 12 of the first 15 are at home. But this was not the ideal start to the season in terms of injuries and availability for several key guys with a new group. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's the latest I've heard. I, th- I would be surprised if any of the three are back within the next two weeks, but I think looking out at, you know, kind of mid November and on, that's when you're going to start to see some of these guys start returning. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you guys, as always, for sending in questions. Uh, I know I didn't get to all of them, but I tried to answer the more general ones that were either addressing other questions or, or you know, there, there's multiple questions of the same kind. Uh, as always, uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all social platforms at Yovan Buha, at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, 
I don't know what you're doing, but make sure to get on that. Uh, it would help me out if you subscribed off of one of my stories, off of Twitter, Instagram. I'm always posting the latest stuff there. Uh, so check that out and make sure you subscribe. And most importantly, if you've not subscribed to this podcast yet, you can do so at you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you're listening right now uh, would be much appreciated. Leave a five-star review uh, or whatever star review you want to give me, but hopefully five-star. Uh, and I gutted this one out with my voice. I promise next time I will hopefully not have a, a sore dying voice, but uh, thank you guys for being with me. Thank you guys for listening. You're the best. I'll be back early next week. Talk to you then.